Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, where we talk about the real estate market and the people connected by it. Our goal is to empower you to make informed decisions and provide context for the real estate world around you. We hope that with every episode, you will become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hi, everybody. I'm Ryan Wise, Rennie's Market Intelligence Manager and Lead Analyst within our Intelligence Division. And as always, I'm joined by Ryan Berlin, Rennie's Senior Economist and Vice President of Intelligence. Ryan, hello. Hey, Ryan. (laughs) Um, In this episode, we'll spend some time discussing the latest residential real estate data from January and how the, the market has looked to start the year. Then we'll pivot to discuss the results from our annual report, the Rennie Outlook, and we'll talk about our predictions for 2024. I'd also like to welcome Theo Berkner, a Rennie advisor who's been a medallion member for the last five years. Welcome, Theo. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. So we're recording this episode on Monday. Uh, I assume everybody watched the big sporting event yesterday. Uh, such an exciting event, incredible finish. Taylor was spectacular. Which of course I'm. We're all talking about the golf tournament, yeah, right? And yeah. Abbotsford, yeah. BC's own Nick Taylor winning the Phoenix Open. That was the yeah. big, the big thing from yesterday. Oh, the big glued to it. <laughs> yeah. to it. Exactly. Yeah. Who is Nick Taylor? He's a golfer. Yeah, from Abbotsford. From Abbotsford. Who won the Canadian Open last year him. in dramatic fashion, yes. and then he won again yesterday. So I was toggling. Yeah, I was. I was working the remote really hard, watching the Super Bowl <laughs> and the golf at the same time because it was so riveting. There you go. That's, did you watch the Super Bowl? Theater? I I did. I have to admit, I I missed Nick Taylor winning his golf tournament. Yeah, it I, was yeah. it was amazing. I actually was writing an offer at the same time, and mm. so I missed the entire halftime show. Unfortunately, you didn't miss anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did catch all of the overtime, which I thought was pretty exciting. Second ever in history Super Bowl that's gone to overtime. So that was pretty thrilling. And Kyle Shanahan blew a lead in both. good call hadn't thought of that yeah no it was a great game though okay so theo let's talk a little bit about your background um you've been a licensed realtor for 12 years now i believe yeah if we do the math i guess that's what it is isn't (laughs) it 2012 yeah um but you have some other experiences that i think will bring some additional insight into you know our local market residential real estate so what were you doing before you joined rennie Uh, adventuring Basically, uh, before I got into real estate, I was in sort of adventure tourism. But before Rennie, I actually owned and managed as managing broker and co-owner two different brokerages. Uh, We had the first office for Harcourt's Real Estate, which is an international brand based in Australia and New Zealand and one of the global leaders in selling homes by auction. So we were pushing that pretty hard. My, My partner and I Greg, who's now with Rennie as well. Um, and that was a lot of fun. We were swimming upstream for quite a while. And, you know, we attracted a number of agents who thought it was interesting to do something different. Uh, probably 90% of our sales were still traditional listed sales, but we had that kind of extra marketing arm or marketing tool rather to sell homes by auction. And, and we succeeded in doing that a number of times. And then we we owned another franchise for about a year's time until we decided that it was just time to go back to sales. And we figured that if you can't beat them 
you might as well join them. So we, we both came to Rennie because <laughs> nice. this is where it just feels right to be. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, I think that's an interesting experience and uh, you definitely bring some some unique expertise to the conversation. So you, you mentioned uh, your clients and, and helping them out. How was January for you and for your clients? Things are ramping up. Uh, I had an oddly busy, just personally, I had an oddly busy December and sold five homes in December. And then January kind of just recovered from Christmas and, and a busy end of the year to, you know, load up the, the barrel, shall we say for the spring market. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, if you were to sum it up in a phrase or a couple, it would be that the buyers have resurfaced. I think we've seen a tremendous amount of this demand, this stated pent up demand personified in people being out and about in open houses and looking at things. Um, my personal business is ramping up and um, it'll be interesting to see what people want to do this year. So it's I find it interesting that in January, we've seen this reemergence of, of buyers who were previously on the sidelines and it plays out in the data when we look at this region as a whole. Um, in the resale market, sales are up 44% versus last January. That's a huge uptick. Yeah. And I look at that through the lens of, you know, interest rates, which are still elevated. And I sort of, I go, okay, well, what has changed? Be, even between December and January, when sales normally fall off, like December is a slow month and January tends to be quite slow as well. We saw a 10% pickup in sales. So what you're saying is absolutely true. Like it's true for you. Theo, and it's true for the market. So I guess my question is for you, who are these buyers? Like, what is the profile of this person who's come out of the woodwork, so to speak? Um, because we haven't seen this, um, we're not yet on the path to normalize long run, lower interest rates. Mortgage rates have started to move. The Bank of Canada has not yet made a move to cut. So who, who are these buyers? I think there's always a contingent of people in the market that just need to move because of life circumstance, Mm -hmm. seasons of life. People are born, people die, people get married, people get divorced, people switch jobs. I think in Vancouver, particularly, you know, over the last, I'll call it 20 years, there's been this massive, what I call set of, you know, obviously business oriented and and profit driven, but recreational selling and buying where people have been buying because, oh my goodness, my equity went up 20% because the market was rising and I can sell and move up and, you know, jump in and jump out and make money. And with the rates having changed and the market having changed over the last couple of years, we've seen that dry up. And now we're into this still perfectly regular transactional churn where people need to buy and sell homes, but it's more just people that need to buy and sell homes because they need to move. And so, you know, the people that I'm seeing, it's people with a new baby on their arm or Mm -hmm. somebody who's about to have a new baby on their arm, or, you know, somebody who's telling a story about a parent or something that's, you know, needing to downsize or something like that. So still those situational buyers yeah. by and large. It's interesting because like Ryan, you're talking about transaction counts changing. We saw seven straight months of declining sales counts to finish the, the year last year. And then, you know, that first pickup is potentially a sign to things to come. But also like to your point, Ryan, nothing actually has 
changed on the interest rate front. Values have gone down moderately, but there is this sort of uh, reemergence of buyers, at least at the margin. And what's interesting too is, yeah, that that opportunistic buyers, you don't think you use that term, but you were essentially describing those who are sort of looking at, yeah, their equity in their home rising, uh, an opportunity to... Um, flip something for example yes yeah yeah and and yes we definitely have not been seeing those opportunistic buyers over the last couple of years what's interesting though is um perhaps some of the opportunity people might be seeing now is i don't know how widely it's known versus felt but even over this past year as rocky as the year has been or the past couple years have been prices actually rose in this region by about five percent so you know we had we had a Early in the year, a lot of that, that's where a lot of that growth was. And since then we've seen prices soften, but on a year over year basis, even through this turmoil of like called generationally high interest rates and rates that had risen so quickly, um, we still see values up and and we look at inventory. We're barely back to, I think in January, we were below the long run average, uh, just, just below the long run average in terms of active listings, 3% down. So it's interesting that we still haven't had uh, a major supply response, but we know we have all of these buyers on the sidelines. Like we've talked about it before on this podcast, two years of record population growth, right? And and as you say, you know, people have kids, they get married, they get divorced, and eventually uh, they will participate again in the market. So what were the, then let's talk about the cases that were most interesting for you last month. What were the the properties or the listings that drew the most attention? Right now I have two listings on the market and one is a, is a two bedroom, 800 square foot condo in new Westminster, nice corner river view, five minutes walk to everything. It's very affordable at 640. It's a reasonable building. You know, it's, it kind of checks all the boxes that you would think would just fly off the shelf, right? I've had 26 or 28 viewings, lots of people asked for Stratodocs, not one offer. Nobody's made an offer, like not even a lowball offer, nothing. Nobody's put pen to paper. It's very strange and it's very consumer level real estate. Sure, it's tenanted, but you know, you could give notice and ask that tenant to move and be in there in two months. And sure, it's got some built-ins that sort of confuse people and it's not your clean, but it's like, again, it's got all the fundamental characteristics mm-hmm. of a very sensible purchase um and haven't seen any action and then i have a townhouse with a little pseudo suite in the basement right in the heart of mount pleasant two blocks from maine and broadway but on a quiet street 11th and alberta and it's we've had 45 showings in the last six days there. wow and we're you know we've held offers because Quite frankly, I was surprised by the influx of inquiries for showings on the first day that we listed. I had nine showing requests in the first like four hours that we listed, Hmm. again, showcasing that there's lots of buyers in the market. Um, And we're taking offers tomorrow, Tuesday, 13th, and we'll see what that looks like. Are you seeing the um, incidence of multiple offer scenarios increasing recently? Or is yeah. there any discernible change? Well, I mean, definitely compared to December, for sure. You mm-hmm. know, and even I would say compared to a month ago, you know, early mid January, people were still kind of starting to get their feet after Christmas. I would say that, you know, as trends go, we're seeing multiple offers ramp up earlier this year than other spring markets, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I would probably partially attribute that to there just still being very low inventory. 
Well, yeah, I think that it's the perceived certainty that yeah. people, there was so much uncertainty for so long. And people thought, well, if I, if I buy now, like how high are rates going to go? Mm-hmm. That affected the pre-sale market for sure. Yeah. But even, even resale, well, rates were relatively high, but people thought, geez, if I have to renew in a few years, is it going to be even more expensive and can I afford that? But I think the mindset now, I think you're right, is that, okay, you know what? Have they peaked or might they go up a little bit more? I mean, our opinion is that they have peaked. Yeah. But I yeah, think there's general... I was going to say, and we were just talking earlier about how fixed rates have actually started to come down already, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in anticipation of variable rates coming down later this year. I think we're going to see this stuff also play out is in builders coming back into the market and building and offering product to the market and developers also, you know, holding costs are possibly going to fall down a little bit. Construction mm-hmm. costs have started to fall down a little bit. Um even, you know, single family home builders, they're not having to, you know, A, they're going to be able to offer product to the market as rates start to shrink. And that's really great for them because buyers are going to be more capable mm-hmm. and B, their holding costs as they build and develop and get through permitting and stuff, which as we know, takes forever plus plus, uh, is going to shrink a little bit as well. Right. So, yeah. and, and that's on the large scale and the, and the small scale. Right. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think we're, it looks like we're on the track to more supply, both as a result of macro conditions impacting the market, but also policy, um, you know, at the, at the provincial level primarily, um, and, and more locally is encouraging more supply. We should just see, you know, I don't think any one policy is going to be a game changer, but collectively what we should see is just a little bit more grease in the wheels like we're going to see more supply more single family homes and lots be converted to ground oriented accommodation with multiple units and so that all should help yeah i agree there's no one silver bullet but all these policies adding up may make a a somewhat of a supply response i think we're also going to see and we already are seeing a more supply of one bedroom homes come to market because of the airbnb rule changes that have so you're noticing that i think so yeah it feels like it at least and and you know certainly in this you know raw investor grade inventory i would say there's not quite as much demand as there maybe once was right now Mm Because rental rates have also gotten so high and maybe there's just this specter of interest rates going down a little bit, there's more and more first-time buyers maybe coming back into the market and looking. But at the same token, it's, you know, it's not easy to be a first-time buyer because you're shelling out quite a large down payment to get into whatever you're getting into, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a good time now to to move on to our second topic. Um, so Ryan Berlin, let's start with you. Uh, we want to talk about the Rennie outlook today and our predictions for 2024. So why don't we start with what is the Rennie outlook and why do we publish it? Great question. So the Rennie outlook is, we're zooming out here, we're going macro. The Rennie outlook is a once a year publication um, that we create here at Rennie. Um, and what we do as part of that is look forward at the calendar year ahead and predict where, you know, call it a, a dozen and a half different, um, real estate metrics, uh, will end up or will, where they will go over the course of the year. So think things like, um, resale activity, pre-sale activity, um, demographics, housing construction, the job market inflation, interest rates, that kind of stuff. So it's a, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting exercise to go through um, because it forces you to think about what 
actually impacts these things. Um, and a lot of interrelated complex dynamics at play. And so what we do as part of this report is we, we give you a, uh, a quantitative forecast. So we give you a number um, for each of these elements. But we also take some time to provide some context and some uh, window into our thinking and, and approach to uh, forecasting that number for the coming year. So anybody who's listening to this, you can go to rennie.com slash intelligence and you'll find the Rennie Outlook featured there and you can download it and read it. I think generally speaking, you know, Theo with you here talking about January feeling different than past months, there is a there is a palpable optimism, I think, um, in this marketplace. I think it probably applies to most real estate markets in Canada, BC, certainly Vancouver, Victoria, Kelowna. It feels like we're turning a corner. So that's good news. I think generally speaking that we're seeing a little bit more supply. We're not as supply constrained as we were. It's activating, activating the buyer side of the market. So there are more options for buyers who have been waiting on the sidelines. And we've seen prices be, you know, Again, they did increase by 5% last year, but over the past few months, they've been fairly non-directional. I think there's a lot of sort of balance in the market, so to speak, right now. All of these represent generally healthier, healthier conditions than we've had over the past couple of years. Let's get to the predictions. Okay, let's do it. And why don't we start with, we've already touched on it a little bit, but I think the number one topic of the last few years, interest rates. So where do you or we see interest rates going over okay. the next year? Okay, we'll cover interest rates and inflation real quick and we'll move on to the others because we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Uh, you can't have a discussion of interest rates without first talking about inflation. We're currently at 3.4%. Um, and we expect that to fall into the Bank of Canada's 1% to 3% range in the coming months and more or less stay there. So a moderation of inflation will open the door to interest rate cuts by the Bank of Canada and we foresee four quarter point cuts to the policy rate that currently sits at 5%. So our prediction for the end of the year is the Bank of Canada will be sitting on 4%. And beyond that, uh, we see them lowering uh, into the 25 to 3% range eventually. Mm -hmm. And noteworthy that they'll finish off higher than where they started pre-pandemic at 1.75%. They will. Yeah, that was very that was very supportive monetary policy and mm -hmm. I think, you know, we may end up back there. If we do though, we will have seen some changes in our economy that are that are not necessarily favorable. Mm -hmm. So we we've talked a lot lately about how 2023 was quite a slow year uh, in terms of the the resale pre-sale markets. Um, but also uh, construction was up. So we saw more construction starts last year. Um, what, are, what are we predicting for 2024 on the construction side? Definitely. So yeah, one thing that was not slow about the market was the pace at which we were building last year. So we have record high uh, under construction inventory, as we call it right now. And last year, we tallied for Metro Vancouver as a region, we started construction on over 33,000 homes. Context is important. What was, it, what was it, if I may jump in, what was the division between rental homes and strata or uh, single family A little homes? less than a third were, about 30% were rental. Just were over 10,000, yeah. Yeah, so, and that was a record. So, um, you know, most of that construction, at least in terms of the starts, was driven by the multifamily segment, the apartment 
vertical structures. And a lot of those homes that pre-sold in 2021 and 2022 yes. started construction in 2023. And that was still a very active market in 2021 as far as pre-sales are concerned yep. and early 2022. So a lot of those homes now, we're starting to see them on the path to becoming occupiable in the next few years. So that 33,000, just to give it context, um, our previous high as a region for starts was in 2019 and it was 28,000. So it's about 15% higher. So we didn't just clear that hurdle. We really surpassed it. And obviously very important that we continue to build at this pace. We, our prediction to answer your question <laughs> as we, we circle around for 2024 is we'll see just under 30,000 starts. So for that, we're looking at the pre-sale environment over the past couple of years, which has obviously slowed. And we look at the number of building permits that have been issued. And so we see a bit of a moderation in starts activity, but still what would otherwise be a record if 2023 didn't exist, 2024 at just under 30,000 would be a record on its own. So robust construction activity. On the flip side, completions. So this is what really matters for our market is homes that are being delivered to people that can be lived in it was a very slow year last year. So we only completed around 20,000 homes, which is not enough to keep up with population growth. And just to go back to some of the stuff that you were talking about, Theo, population change, just the increasing needs from a, an existing resident population due to aging and having kids and so on. So as we look forward and we look at the under construction inventory and starts from the past couple of years, which have been ramping up, we are forecasting a pretty significant increase in completions this year, up to 25,000 homes. So that's a 20% year over year jump. I will try and just kind of bring us back to our predictions for the year. So Rhine Berlin, um, what do we expect for the resale and pre-sale market in terms of counts? How busy a year are we expecting for 2024? So the answer is a busier year. Busier. Than, busier <laughs> than 2023. Great. But not quite an average year for either resale counts or pre-sale counts. So on the resale front, uh, last year, so 2023, we tallied 40,000 sales across the region. Um, the con context for that is we typically, or on average, would see around 52,000 sales. So that is significantly lower. Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking 20-ish percent below what's typical. And for all the reasons we previously discussed it, you know, it, it, it's understandable, but I think as our population has grown, there is pressure. Um, and as the, as the, on the demand side and as the macroeconomic conditions improve, become more favorable to, um, the real estate sector generally, we're going to see sales increase this coming year, not quite back to average, but we see them increasing to, uh, 49,000 for the region. Uh, so we're, we're up by, you know, close to a quarter, uh, if that does, if that is realized. Um, and on the pre-sale front last year, uh, there were 11, just over 11,000, uh, pre-sales across the region. Again, that's about 30% below the long run average this coming year. We see with the resale market always informs the pre-sale market. So I think as we see more activity in resale, we see more competitions for homes. Theo, you're talking about all these showings, maybe not 28 offers, but 28 showings, people who are interested in purchasing a home, the resale market, as we see sales increase and it reactivates, it's going to become more competitive. And I think we'll talk about prices in a second, but as prices do come up, 
you're going to see people start to pivot into pre-sale, both from an opportunistic perspective, because they'll see the that long run value of real estate will be front of mind once again, after having sort of gone away for a couple of years. But people will be able to, as some people will be able to escape that competitive environment in resale and sort of participate in a more structured, perhaps less emotional transactions that occur in in the pre-sale world. So we see pre-sales coming up to 13,000 this year. So just at about the long run average. Yeah, you also talked before about sort of more certainty and more confidence in buyers out there. And I think you really need to be have a lot more confidence to buy a pre-sale, you know, to pay for a home today that's going to be delivered tomorrow. You really need confidence in where the market's going over the next few years. Absolutely. Okay, so Ryan, you just chatted about resale and pre-sale counts and you kind of alluded to prices. I think that that's maybe where we should finish off today. So what is the outlook, the Rennie outlook for prices this year? So finally, yeah, wrapping here with with prices. So you know, if we look across the board in resale, detached, townhome, condo, prices are down from their 2022 peaks by about 5% for condo, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. around 10% for detached homes. So quite a ways off from previous highs from almost two years ago, but we do see that gap to the, the previous peak closing this year. So for condos, we see a 4% increase in prices. For detached homes, a 9% increase as people not only enter the market as first-time home buyers, but move up through the market. People who have been delaying that townhome purchase who were in a condo, even though they had a kid or two kids. And then similarly, as they move into an increasingly constrained, detached environment, not everyone can afford it, but I think we'll start to see prices buoyed by uh, upmover demand. Uh, throughout this market. So rising prices is not a good thing for all. Um, if you're an existing owner, you know, if you interpret that as an increase in value for your home, you probably like that. If you're a first time home buyer or you're moving from, let's say a condo where prices might rise more slowly than a detached home, that's a challenge for you. So offsetting these, these rising prices though is, you know, as we laid out what we believe to be a, a falling interest rate environment. So that is also part of the driver between value increases. Mm-hmm. So from an affordability perspective, we may not see a major change, but we do expect values to, by the end of this year, look a lot more like they did at that point three years prior. So Theo, does that track with what you're the, yeah, uh, seeing for this year? Yeah, I would I would actually agree with that. I think there's always this ela- this constant elasticity in the gap of pricing between attached living and detached living, right? I mean, the gap grows and grows and grows and people that are trying to move up get frustrated and then they decide to sit tight for a little while. And then the gap shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and then people realize that they can make the jump. And whether that's driven by just a price delta that's low enough to make the jump based on their regular salaries or, or lower interest rates or whatever. I think as the market, you know, softened the last couple of years, the people that were able to make that jump from a townhouse or a condo into a house, they're going to be rewarded with that this year. You know, they're going to gain that equity. I do think mm-hmm. that in Vancouver, even when the market is soft, the, pr- the, the properties that come available at the lower end of every tranche of property, condo, townhouse, and single family home are always going to be fought after. That's just the way it is here. You know, there's this floor that people are trying to climb up onto out of the lower floors, no matter what it is, you know, everybody and their dog is going to want a single family home in North Van for 1.8 or in Coquitlam for 
1.5 or 1.4, you know, or mm-hmm. in even on the west side of Vancouver for, you know, 2.6. And that that's where the the trench warfare is of Vancouver, right? So, is, so you see prices being a little bit sticky maybe around some of these thresholds for different markets. Yeah, I think exactly. I, or rather, I think that no matter whether we have, you know, a so-called bad market, a soft market, those there's always a floor where things don't fall mm-hmm. below. And then as soon as there's even a little glimmer of upward hope or momentum, those lower price points get very competitive very quickly and fly upwards. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah. I think that like you, you may see, sorry to interrupt, you know, I think you may see the floor of X housing tranche go up more than the predicted 9%, say, mm-hmm. you know, detach the bottom of the detached market in a hot market like East van or North van or, you know, whatever, uh, might go up 12%. And the, middle or the high end of that market might only rise 3%. I wouldn't disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a I think it's a great take. We started a new segment last time. Uh so this will be our second round of it where we kind of check in on um headlines. So uh Ryan Theo, I'd love to get your responses kind of on a, a more rapid fire, yeah, or lukewarm takes if you don't want to be too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Headline number one: The federal government extends the foreign buyer ban on Canadian homes to 2027. And before you jump in, I thought this was noteworthy because they actually wrote the last piece of legislation uh, to expire on its own. And so they, in order to do this, they have to repass it. And so they've decided to take that step uh, mm. and, and extend the foreign buyer ban, which requires new legislation. They also, at the same time, limited the amount of international students we can bring into Canada and BC. And yes. so there's this interesting, I mean, clear pushback against foreign nationals owning real estate in Vancouver. And they're trying to package it up in all sorts of different ways. Those two policies, you bring up the, the cap on student visas, will have a will manifest in the market in very different ways. Uh, just first and foremost, because there are far more international students, for example, in Metro Vancouver um, than there are coming each year to Metro Vancouver than there are foreign buyers per the federal government's definition. And I think that's important. I think it's going to have an impact on rents. The student visa ban? Yeah. Well, absolutely. It may not lower rents, but what it should do is mitigate increases that would have otherwise been realized had that ban not yeah. been put into place. It's yeah. it's going to be um, tens of thousands of fewer study permits being issued for people who would be coming to Metro Vancouver. So that will, I mean, our math says that it's around, it'll reduce new housing demand, all else being equal by about 10,000 homes from that segment, just based on the issued permits front. Um, the foreign buyer ban, foreign buyer definition at the, the federal level is different from the one at the provincial level here in BC. And I think it's important to note that the, the foreign buyer as defined by the federal government is somebody who uh, is not a Canadian citizen and does not live or work here, doesn't have a tie to the country. And so I'm not actually debating the should we or shouldn't we uh, of it, but in my mind, it's going to have a very, very muted impact. I mean, if even if we just track the foreign buyer proportion in in this province going back, if we look at 
price changes. BCREA has done has modeled some scenarios uh, with the ban, without the ban, uh, on for prices, and the results all show that it's it's um, it's very insignificant. So that's that's my take. And let's do our other new segment. Uh, so last time we asked for questions, we're soliciting uh, input from our listeners, um, and so I think we have one question to answer today from Andy in Vancouver. So let's hear the question. Hi, I'm currently sitting on a variable mortgage rate. I want to know if I should be considering looking into a fixed rate. What are the pros and cons? And what do you see the outlook for the mortgage rates over the long term? Great question. Yeah. I think it's likely we're all aligned here that, you know, it comes down to the individual. I think it depends on if it's a rental property or if it's your own property as well. Yeah, There's some factors absolutely. there, you know, yeah, absolutely. But, and your, your own risk tolerance yeah. for sure. I, I know that Theo, you mentioned that you have always gone fixed. I've dabbled in the world of variable and then gotten freaked out and, and locked it in a couple of different times. And I'm somebody I realized that does not like to be monitoring market conditions each day to, um, you says know. the head economist. <laughs> <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> the, the qualifier Side to that eye. is, I do it's, like monitoring, yeah, but not as head, it relates to... <laughs> yes, I don't like monitoring conditions as a means to, uh, you know, trying to figure out whether or not my home's going to cost me more or otherwise going, you know, each day going forward. So I just prefer to lock in and forget about it. So it comes down to the individual, but obviously... If we do enter a, you know, we already are seeing a, a declining rate environment on the on the fixed uh, mortgage rate front, but as rates collectively start to come down this year, there'll be a good contingent of people who will look to lock in like you did, Theo, for um, a couple of years, get that certainty for the next, say, 24 payments or whatnot, and then come out the other end of that and renew at what are hopefully longer term rates that are lower. Yeah. I think, I mean, just my quick take on it. Like for example, if you own a rental property and you have a set balance sheet effectively, uh, or, you know, a set expense statement, you can lock in and you just really have your numbers set, right? You know, you're not going to change your rental income, et cetera, et cetera. And exactly. You have certainty. The one thing I would add though, um, is that Andy from Vancouver said that he's currently on a variable rate. And I think that it, as opposed to oh, I'm, I'm taking on a new mortgage. If you've held out on a variable rate to this point, I think the consensus <laughs> is rates are going to come down, whether you agree with our prediction or something more conservative. Either way, I think most everyone expects rates to decline this year. And so if you've held out this long, uh, you might you might be uh, wanting to hold out a little bit longer. So there's no one piece of advice for everyone. It's well, I, I do feel like, I actually do feel like if there is one piece of advice, it's look hard at a two or a three-year term as opposed to a five-year term. Mm -hmm. But, you know, five-year was always the going theme forever and a day. And I think that we're in such a dynamic environment currently that you might just want to, as you said, you know, set yourself up for the next 24 to 36 payments and then maybe rejig the whole thing. Yeah. And the one, one, maybe one last comment on this that, you know, in this environment uh, of just higher rates generally, um, you know, the, the bank that you're renewing with knows that it's, it's difficult for you to approach another bank and get a better rate from them because you're qualifying your, the qualifying rate that you're facing as a borrower um, is, is, is so high. Uh, and with renewals, obviously you just put your signature to paper and, and you've got that rate. 
there's no due diligence done on your finances. Yeah, I think those are all uh, really good points. And uh, hopefully, Andy from Vancouver, that answers your question. Thank you very much for for submitting it. Um, And we do encourage any listeners out there to send us questions. You can email us at intel at rennie.com or use the link to leave us uh, an audio message um, that's in the posting for this podcast episode below. So Theo, thanks so much for joining us today. If people want to reach out to you and get in touch, how would they do that? Uh, I have a pretty unique name. So Theo Berkner on Google will get you to me and only me, which is quite nice. Uh, so yeah, Theo Berkner dot real estate on Instagram, or you can also email me at T Berkner. That's T B I R K N E R at Rennie.com. Awesome. Great. Thanks for everything today. Um, in today's episode, we talked about the January data and what's going on to start the local housing market to 2024. And we talked about the Rennie Outlook, our annual publication. We forecast some metrics for the year ahead. Theo, thanks so much for joining us. Ryan, as always. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Theo. Yeah, a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the Rennie Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, All resources mentioned in the episode can be found at rennie.com slash intelligence. To be the first to receive this information, register for intelligence updates.